Hi, it's Love Rex Sykes. Radio. Hi, it's Rex Sykes, and welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Now, here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And I will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest today, oh, and by the way, if you're tuning in for the first time or if you're a, an avid fan and listener, um, there's over 500 hours of Rex Sykes Movie Beat at rexsykes.com, that is, or on Blog Talk Radio. And uh, and you can go to either place, that's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com or uh, Blog Talk Radio. You can find the uh, the programs. Um, but you might have noticed that there is no introductory music. That music was created by my daughter. We've played it for years. And uh, the blog talks had inadvertently deleted my music. So um, uh, until I can get that file re-uploaded, um, there may not be any music for the show. This is a whole new uh, opportunity to begin to explore things differently. I'm so glad that you're here. My guest today is director, producer, writer, Michael Pfeiffer, who grew up in a showbiz family. His father was the head of television research for 20th Century Fox in the late 60s and 70s. After he graduated college, Mike decided to take advantage of the fact that his father was producing independent films. And after working on only three projects at 24, Mike produced his first feature, now, eventually, Mike began producing films for others and has now produced more than 75 feature films. And when a director dropped out of a film he was producing, he finally got a shoot to direct, a shot to direct. The film was called Lethal Eviction, and it starred Jennifer Carpenter, uh, Dexter from The Exorcist of, Exorcism of Emily Rose, and, uh, and Judd Nelson of The Breakfast Club. Michael's ability to move his crew quickly and make concise decisions on set allow him to get an incredible amount of setup shots per day. Mike's considered an actor's director because of his innate ability to collaborate with his talent and yet lead them. But he's also considered a producer's director due to his ability to bring in films on budget, on time, and with amazing production quality. Mike's directed stars such as Val Kilmer, Brittany Murphy, Tom Arnold, Tom Skerritt, Peter Bogdanovich, and many, many more. He's worked in producing an assistant directing capacity with stars such as Al Pacino, Lorraine Bracco, and Danny Glover. Since directing his first feature, Mike has gone on to direct many more films in a wide variety of genres, from horror to thriller to drama, I'm sorry, to drama and to comedy. And his films are regularly seen on channels such as Lifetime, Hallmark, Ion, Uplift TV, and more. His films are sold in every territory throughout the world. It is my pleasure to bring on Mr. Michael Pfeiffer. Mike, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Welcome. Welcome. It's so Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Rex. Nice introduction. I appreciate it. By the way, I've produced well, over a hundred movies. I know that. <laughs> I know I know that and, and uh this was taken from a bio and uh but on the front plate from where we were advertising, uh, promoting you, it says you produced more than 100 feature films, directed more than 60 feature films, and written more than 40 feature films. This is an impressive yeah. record. Can you 
Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your start and how you came to do so much? Yeah, sure. So um, I I grew up in Los Angeles, and in 1972, actually, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. In 1972, my father worked for 20th Century Fox, and they shut down the New York lots, and uh, they uh, they moved everybody out to Los Angeles. <laughs> and um, so I grew up in Los Angeles. My dad was director of television research back uh, when there were three channels, basically. And uh, he worked on the Fox lot, uh, which was cool as a kid. I got to go visit the Fox lot when I was a kid. And, and uh, I remember seeing shows like MASH and SWAT being shot. Um, but um, I actually never really had an interest in making movies. It never really dawned on me. Never really uh, – because my father, my father then went from Fox over to selling uh, Turbinette's TV show in syndication. Um, and not until I was kind of busy and in high school did my dad start producing movies. Um, and I went to college for architecture, and it wasn't until I graduated architecture school and I worked at a design firm for a year that I got an opportunity to work on one of my father's films, and uh, the rest is sort of history for me. That, that became my career. That is amazing. So. That is amazing. Um, as somebody who's walked the uh, Fox back lot back uh, many, many years ago, what an impressive way to 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 – I mean, as a filmmaker now, to to have those opportunities to be part of that history. Yeah, it's great memories. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you one of my. There's a few favorite memories back then when I was a kid. I mean, one was Fox used to have um have uh, I don't know what it was like a they'd go out to uh to uh, the Santa Monica Mountains on the Fox property, their ranch out there, and they would have these uh, these festival days. Um, I can't remember specifically what they're for. If they're Labor Day festivals, or but they would have um, huge Fox picnics, and they'd have hay rides and all these events. But they one of the coolest things they had, I remember so clearly, is they had Planet of the Apes stunt shows just for the Fox uh, employees and their families. And um, boy, when you're uh, you know you're seven eight years old and you're seeing Planet of the Apes stunt shows, it's pretty cool. And uh, also when I was a kid. I always remember I went to visit my dad at the commissary, uh, which is the cafeteria at Fox. And I was sitting with my parents and I remember this, this scary man dressed up and he kind of made this face at me and I ran behind my mom and hid. And I never really thought about it or knew who it was until I don't know how many years later I was watching the movie young Frankenstein and it just all connected. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was Peter Boyle from young Frankenstein. Uh, uh, getting lunch uh, while shooting Young Frankenstein, and I matched up the dates and where they shot, and sure enough, uh, that's what it was. So, you know, little memories like that were pretty cool as a kid. Um, and um, yeah, those are good times. <laughs> that is so cool. Uh, I um, worked with the director John, Jim Goldstone, who directed a number of things, and I was on Universal's lot one day, and they were doing uh, Buccaneer with uh, Robert yeah. Shaw and Peter yeah. Boyle was wow. there and it was a scene where they were um, taking the wax off of Peter Boyle's back. Or I'm taking the hair off oh, of really? Peter. I, I think it was right. Peter Boyle's right. back in, in the movie and Jean-Benet Bouchol. So um, it's, that's a part of Hollywood that I think is so very cool. And, and your experience of seeing him that way, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it was, it's I mean, envious. Well, yeah, you know, but, you know, it's, it's important for people to know, too, is, like, that did not actually help me. I mean, 
my career in a filmmaker, it's important for people to realize, too, because a lot of people might say, well, you have this career making movies it's because your father. Well, what happened was my father was making movies. I, my brother and I worked on the very first film for him. Uh, the first one we worked on was called Fraternity Demon, and it was falling apart. Things were falling apart left and right. And if my brother and I hadn't been there, the whole movie would have fallen apart. So I ended up staying and working with my dad and actually helping him <clears throat> with the business, producing his movies and running his video label and uh, uh, going with him to the foreign markets to sell films. So, and, and we're talking about low, low-budget movies too. Um, so it was a bit of a grind back then, and it was a bit of kind of sticking it out and helping my dad out back then. Um, and not going after what my dream was really, my dream was to be an architect. And I was going to go back to my master's degree uh, in architecture. And I gave up that because, well, honestly, I got the movie bug. Mo- movies were more interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, there was a while there where I was really like, what am I doing with my life? Should I stay here and work with my dad and work on these low budget movies and help be the glue to keep this together? Or should I just leave and go to get my master's degree? But I stuck around. <laughs> Well, and you mentioned in your bio that 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 you got a degree in architecture. How did how did that contribute to what you ultimately have become as a filmmaker? Well, I, I think it's really really critical, and I think it's a really good lesson to learn. I am a, I'm not, and a lot of people know me. I'm not a big advocate of film school. Um, I'm a big advocate of going to school for other things, such as architecture, such as art, history. Um, 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 theology, Greek mythology. <clears throat> I think you can learn filmmaking on set. You can be paid to learn filmmaking on set. Work as a production assistant. Um, you can watch videos all day long about uh, about you know everyone from Jean Renoir and Fellini to to Hitchcock and Spielberg. You know, I don't really think you need to go to film school for that. Uh, for me, so architecture. After the first shot of the first movie I directed, I called my father up and I said, architecture school wasn't a waste of time. Because in architecture school, you learn design process. You learn perspective, color, composition. Um, you learn all these things that directly relate to directing movies. Um, I think that you learn more about making movies in architecture school than you do about building buildings, to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, and, uh, and really, it comes from really being an a, a, a architecture school it's a real lesson in, in, well, film is, film is commercial design, right? We're designing a product for an, a mass audience. And architecture is also designing a product for an audience. You know, you don't just make a building that you just think is cool and it has no, serves no purpose. You make a building, it's, uh, maybe it's a school, so it's got to have an auditorium, it's got to have classrooms, it's got a hallway, lockers, whatever it might be. Um, and artists, like say, you know, take Jackson Pollock. didn't matter what Jackson Pollock was doing. Uh, it was whatever made him happy. You can't do that with architecture. You can't really do that with film. And that's a good lesson to learn in architecture school too, is, is design process and designing something that has to serve multiple needs. And, and films are that way too, honestly. Um, you have a little more freedom in films and architecture, but that's sort of what I take out of it. Well, I, I love and appreciate that you have said that, that you have that experience. I, I find um, I encourage people, you know, I taught at the university in the film department, uh, but I always told people you didn't need film school, you needed business school or something other than film. And one of the, since most of us have to raise money in order to make movies, knowing how to raise money or knowing how to spend money, you know, is important. But what I really, truly like that you, 
that you said is is that you know I, I've always likened it to a manufacturing process like making a creative pair of shoes or a creative purse or something um, but the architecture analogy is far superior and, and makes far more sense uh, because you are you're making a product to take to a market to sell so that you can get a return on your investment uh, apart from those people who just want to make something um, because they've made it, you know, they're creative, but they, right. but they're not, there's no commercial right. interest in it. And, and another thing about architecture school, architecture school is an art form and, and, and you're, you're working with structures, you're working with spaces, you're working with composition, you're working with perspective, with color. And when you direct movies, everything directing has to do with architecture has to do with the spaces and the volume of space that you're working in. Even if you're out in the middle of the desert, and you have people, people are still, people become the columns in the architecture. The, the way you shoot them, whether it's a one-point perspective or two-point perspective, the way they move in the space, it all relates. Architecture and, and directing are very, very closely rated, related. Um, how you move the camera within a space uh, uh, directly relates to an architect designing a space and how people are going to move throughout the space. So it really helped. I, it really did, and I didn't realize that. Honestly, until I directed my first movie, I graduated architecture school in 1990. I didn't direct my first movie until 2004. So, you know, 14 years later, I was like, wow, it was just a revelation, you know, what architecture school actually did for me. Yeah. This is, um, can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Oh, okay. It, it looked, my uh, board suddenly changed. I couldn't tell if I was being heard or not. Um, this is really, really fascinating. It, when you directed your first movie, was, was there Video Village by that time? Uh, yes, there was. There was. We had, but actually, so I've directed uh, 65 movies, and only one of them is on film. It was my first movie. After that, I never directed a movie on film again. We shot that one on Super 16, and uh, we had a monitor, you know. Uh, um, um, but um, I've produced many movies. Years ago when I produced movies for my father, he actually – even though we could have gotten a monitor, uh, we were shooting on film. He didn't actually want the directors having a monitor because he trusted his director, the director of photography, which oftentimes the one I worked with was a, a great director of photography named Dennis Maloney. Dennis Maloney shot uh, The Contender with Joan Allen and Jeff Bridges and Christian Slater, and he's brilliant. And my father depended more on Dennis than the director. So he figures, well, Dennis is looking through the viewfinder. The director doesn't have to look at a monitor. So we can save money one and we can make sure Dennis, uh, what Dennis is seeing is what we're getting, not with the director. So uh, uh, I didn't really think it was so fair to the, for, to, the, to the directors, but that was sort of his, his take on it. But the thing about a monitor, by the way, is when you're producing movies and directing movies, the monitor is your quality control. Not only your, not only your, 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 your eyes, but it's also quality control. You need to be able to see if there's a boom in the shot or if something's too grainy, if there's a reflection or, the, you know, so when you're producing, it's really important because uh, uh, my movies, I'm responsible. If these things go over budget, I'm responsible. So I got to see everything and know, but all at the end of the day, all that matters is what's happening in that rectangle on the monitor. That's it. You know, six inches off camera doesn't matter. What's happening in the rectangle matters. So. Well, um, some of the listeners may know that I, I was, <laughs> I was very lucky to work with you on a movie called Shooting Star. And sometimes I was in front of the camera, but occasionally I was able to sit that far from Video Village and, and to watch you work. And, and it just truly fascinated me. 
um, I was not ever close enough, you know, looking over your shoulder to to pay attention, but I could hear some of the things that you would say or or when were when I was on the set and you were making adjustments um to us, you know, in terms of movement or positioning and things like that. I just found the whole uh, what you were doing one fascinating and two really really helpful to to us who were in front of the camera and um and and I and I and I want to ask you about that. I mean, in other words, you're 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 having to monitor so many different things. You're looking at performance. You're looking at lighting. You're looking at, like you said, grading. You're looking at positioning. You're looking at the the architecture design of the shot. And right. at the same time, you you know how this is all going to fit together. Right. Well, um, there's a there's a process to it. Uh, first of all, one of the most important things is to be really kind of hyper vigilant about everything you're doing. You have to be like in a really focused, like I get really like hyper focused when I'm directing. So I'm aware of everything around me. I mean, if there's 30 extras on set, I learn all their names. Um, I also, I used to produce some line produce movies and, and AD movies before I directed. So I'm really hyper aware of, you know, if there's somebody outside making noise or if the, the fire, the fireman on the ranch, the FSA, which is the fire safety advisor on the ranch, is upset because we don't have the fire extinguisher closer to close enough to set. I mean, like I'm really like hyper focused, so I really suggest when people direct or start directing movies, like make sure they stay in the game, really focused, just like you're a pitcher in a baseball game and you're just aware of everything going on around you. But what's important too is the process of directing. For instance. I have a mantra about directing, which I always say is it's not my job to tell actors how to act. It's my job to tell them where to go. Um, unless, of course, you know, that, that mantra ends a couple ways. One is it's my job to direct the crew. Another one is not my job to tell actors how to act. It's my job to tell them where to go unless they suck. But if you give, if you give actors, if you have good actors and you give them freedom and let them bring the texture to life, you don't really have to work on their performance too much. You can work on where they need to go because your job as a director is really to block a scene, to pick lenses, to pick your camera movement, and, and directing your crew. Actors, actually, uh, they've been working with their characters. They've been reading the script. They know what they want to do. You really don't have to be hypervigilant about your actors' performances. In fact, it's a big mistake when a director is focusing on actors too much um, and usually when they do that, it means they don't understand, they don't know the equipment uh, that they're working with. They don't know, they don't know lenses and f-stops and they don't know lighting and they don't know camera movement. So then they focus on the actors, but they're the last ones you have to worry about. You have to worry more about your relationship with your DP. You have to worry more, more about your camera operators and what they're framing. And you have to worry more about the blocking of the scene. Uh, you know, if a character walks in a door, do you need them to go straight to the kitchen or do you need them to stop in the foyer? Do you need them to, to, you know, what, what is, the, what is the, the essence of the scene? What are you trying to accomplish? And where do you need to go from point A to point B to point C? And then let the actors go ahead and rehearse and see what happens and see what falls into place. And, the, and an actor might go, you know, it's better if I go from point A to point C than to point B. And you work it out and you find that. And then once you block it and then you rehearse that master, everything starts falling in place. So it allows you as a director to actually have one less thing to worry about. Uh, which is your actors, actually, if they're good, you don't have to worry about them. I mean, it's kind of a joke to think about a director who gets an Academy Award. I mean, it's not a joke, but, I mean, you know, if you think of an, 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 a director who gets an Academy Award for directing um, Pacino, let's say, okay, 
you're really not going to direct Al Pacino. Al Pacino is going to do his thing, <laughs> and he knows his character a lot more than you. What you're going to get, your, what you're going to get uh, uh, out of it is, is, is you're going to have to tell Al where to go. So you have to tell Al, you know, certain beats and things, you know, and you have to collaborate with him. Uh, so if you have great actors, uh, now if you don't have the greatest actors, really want to give them the freedom to work within the parameters of the blocking scheme. And you want to tell them ahead of time that the script is not, you don't have to say the script verbatim, make it yours, you know, bring it to life. Let's see what you can bring, you know, and then 99% of the time, actors are going to bring you great stuff. They really are. And then you could focus on directing your crew. So. I think this is absolutely fascinating. And, and certainly for uh, people who are starting out directing or even those who have, are more seasoned directors, this is really valuable information. Um, I, I'm also wondering if if you think that, you know, the professional film business, the professional film business is run by departments. You know, there's the acting department, yes. the directing department, you know, camera department, things like that. That that, and it, certainly this is not true of of all directors who work in a professional film business. But the idea being that each department is responsible for their business. The actor's business, you know, is is the his or her job, um, you know, in the same way that the the camera department is there to do their work to to help you get your vision on the screen and things like that. That that because what you just said about putting your faith in actors is truly wonderful because there aren't that many uh, directors who I think are that secure enough to let their actors act. Uh, well, let me let me just stop myself and say. Um, and, and I'm not blowing smoke, but because you, you know this is, you know, I've said this before. Being on your set was one of the most wonderful experiences in in my acting life because when you did know everybody's name, you did interact with everybody personally, and 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 were you know approachable and friendly, and 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 I was so impressed with how everyone worked together, felt like a community and a family. And uh, and did their jobs, and even if there was and there wasn't, but even if there were, you know, uh, difficulty or skirt, you know, uh, things that needed to be solved, um, everybody worked seemed to work together as a team, and it really made that experience an enjoyable experience for me, and I, and I and I know for everybody else, and and I wasn't on it that long, but but it was very memorable, and I have very fond memories of doing that, uh, and and being there, and I appreciate that, and thank you very much. Um, well, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm glad you had a good time. I try to make it enjoyable because, look, we're making movies. You know, we're not curing cancer. So let's have a good time. Let's enjoy the process. We're also on set for 12 hours a day. Right, um, right. So, you know, and, 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 and there's, there's nothing to fight over. And there's no, let's, there's, for me, because I've done it so much, there's no insecurity. So there's no, you know, there's no complex, the insecurity complex. That's where a lot of people, that's where a lot of sets have, have problems is uh, insecurity uh, comes in, you know, a director who can't make a decision or doesn't know, so they want to hide it, you know, and, and uh, or a director of photography who's trying to be, you know, they think they're on a $50 million movie and they're on a $400,000 movie, you know, um, and then you get clashing egos and things. Um, at the end of the day, they, they, though, it's really important. Mostly it's very important for people who, uh, who are listening to this, who want to direct or have directed. It's really important to know that you as the director, you're the leader. It's your show. It's your way or the highway. Don't get into too many conversations where people try to push and pull you. If you're wrong, hide it. <laughs> Nobody needs to know you're wrong. Okay, there's lots of answers and things, but 
a movie really works best when there's one leader and you're having a good time and everybody sees you enjoying yourself and, and you're free to be creative. That allows other people, people to be creative and you're not insecure and you're welcoming to ideas, but you limit them to a point because at the same time, you can't have too many voices speaking in your head because everybody needs to know that you're a leader. Then things really will work well and the machine works. The machine works really well with, with a single leader, you know? I don't know if you've ever been on a movie with two directors. That's mm-hmm. a I have. I have. I, or, I produced, or, I produced a movie with two directors. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, were they talking oh, about yeah. it yet? <laughs> uh, they weren't talking from the start. Time. I mean, I that wasn't my plan. That, that wasn't my plan. That was the, the director brought a, a di- another director on. And at the time, it was very problematic. We're all friends now, and and but at the time, it was it was a difficult, very difficult shoot. And um, yeah, I, I always suggest never co-direct for two reasons. One is because nobody ever gets along well enough unless you're right. like Joel and Ethan Cohen. And two is nobody gets any credit. Who who directed the movie? You know, so it doesn't do anything for anybody's career. One guy can direct it if it's a guy, you know, and a guy and a girl, whatever. One person directs the first one, the other one can direct the second. Don't co-direct. It does nothing for you. Uh, um, you could do co-producing and then one person directs, but it's really right. important for a crew to see one singular leader who is confident, is secure, is creative, and, and has ideas, is willing to listen to people, but at the same time re- restrict those, those people a bit just so that it doesn't get out of hand. Because once you start opening up the, the floor to ideas uh, and you're not strong in your convictions about what you want to do, uh, it can get out of hand. Um, but this is all things you learn when you work on set and you learn about yourself. Really important thing about, about ourselves, too, and people want to be directors is, is, is like I said, it's a leadership position and you got to be willing to, to take the reins and, uh, and drive the horses forward. You know? Well, and I, again, thank you for saying that. I, I want to give a shout out to your co-producer, Peter Shireko, uh who's a producer and actor and uh, has a ranch yeah. in uh, Aqua Dulce where, where we were shooting. Yeah. And, um, and and just say that the two of you, you know, in my opinion, work together very well. And and what you said, leadership, motivation, and inspiration starts top, and and trickles down. You know, it doesn't. It it's not the it's not it's not from crew up to the top. The top, the above the line people have to set the tone of the of the project and right. and are, you know, it's the captain of the ship. They're 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 delivering the, and and that was that was what was so. Um, wonderful about being on set with you guys. And uh, well, I think uh, with, I think Peter and I respect each other a lot, and that goes a long way. I really respect Peter, and I'm so appreciative of him. You know, we met on a movie in 2011 called Wider of Revenge, where I hired him because Peter is the. If people don't know who Peter is, he was Texas Jack Vermillion in the movie Tombstone. Uh, he grew up in New Jersey, wanted to be a cowboy, and he became a cowboy. And, he uh, became he a cowboy. And and Peter owns uh, period guns period costumes, period saddles, period props. Uh, uh, he's, his, his company, they, he's, he's, he's oversees a ranch that's 1,800 acres. And um, um, so when you make a Western, you call it Peter. And what's been great about my relationship with Peter is that I'm, when, when people come to him and say, I want to make a Western, he, he tells them that he wants me to direct those movies. You know, I'm like the go-to guy. And that, and that really means a lot that Peter feels that way about me. And so Peter and I have produced uh, a movie uh, called Soldier's Heart, which is actually June 16th is coming out. The name change is called The Soldier's Revenge. It's coming out uh, um, t- 
to Walmart and VOD and Target and all that on June 16th, just in time for Father's Day. And so we produced that together. And, uh, and then we also did Shooting Star, which you were in uh, together. Yeah, uh, and then I also hired Peter. Peter's a great actor. And um, it's, it's, uh, 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 I've, I've hired Peter to be actor, an actor in my films, ones that he's not involved in producing. Uh, in fact, he was in a movie called Anniversary Nightmare that plays on Lifetime Channel all the time. In fact, I think it's playing tomorrow or the next day. And I, he's not a cowboy. He's just a, he's just a, grieving, a grieving father in that movie. <laughs> That's very sweet. Well, I love Peter. I've known him for many years, and uh, and that was the first time Peter and I've worked together, and it was it was, it oh, was really? fun. Oh, it, it, yeah, it was very very fun. I was I was great, and uh, Michael Pare and I have known each other for a number of years, and and uh, you both have been on my show, and and, and probably both I know Peter will, uh, but both will probably be on, on the show uh, in the future, but uh, yeah, it was it was really fun to do. To, to work with Peter on set. That was, that was, and to work with you. It was a fabulous time. Um, do you want to, do you want to, and I, I want you, I want to come back to Soldier's Revenge, but you want to talk a little bit about Shooting Star and, and what that's sure. about and sure. how it came about? Sure. Well, Shooting Star actually, you know, what happened was we made the first movie um, and um, um, Peter and our investor, Rick Peel, who um, unfortunately passed away recently. So, um, uh, it's a terrible thing, but um, um, and I'm really appreciative of Rick having trusted me on two films. But um, uh, Rick was was very into the mounted shooting world uh, uh, competitions where you ride horses and you shoot. And so our second movie, we're trying to figure out what to do. And I said, well, why don't we make a movie uh, where mounted shooting is a big part of it and promote mounted shooting? And plus, it's one of Rick's loves. Um, which is pretty apropos that, you know, he passed away and the last thing that he did was a, a movie uh, that, that uh, you know, about mounted shooting. But uh, wow. so actually it was Peter who came up with the idea for the storyline, uh, which is uh, uh, two young girls and a dad. And, and one of the young girls um, gets in an accident on a horse and becomes paralyzed. And meanwhile, um, uh, the cult company comes into town and uh, puts on a competition uh, where the winner of the competition gets $5,000, a mounted shooting competition. And so the little girl, the older sister, competes in the competition to win money for surgery for her sister. And, and that, that, that genesis of a story was actually Peter's. And then I went off and wrote the script. And, uh, and actually, uh, Rick and Peter came up with the name Shooting Star. And I was like, that's, I don't quite get that name. What, what's up with that name? But <laughs> I, I, it dawned on me, if I make the lead character's name Star, then it makes sense. And then it's kind of a right. double entendre. So, so her name is Star and her sister's name Blaze and their father's Dex. But the movie's called Shooting Star. And um, I found an amazing first-time actress named Brooklyn Michelle, who's just uh, just got the sweetest, most beautiful face. And and it was her first time acting in a movie. And I just knew from this one little bit of an audition from something else that I saw that she could do it. And she was fantastic. And then uh, Liana Farino is, a, is her little sister. And that was her first acting job. She was in a, my, a movie of mine as an extra, but that was her first real acting job. And Liana... Liana knew not only all of her dialogue, but everybody else's dialogue. And, um, and it was amazing. And then their father's played by Drew Waters, who I, I just can't wait to make another movie with him. He's just the greatest guy. And, sure. and uh, the love interest was uh, Heather McComb, who's one of my favorite actresses to work with. And, and then uh, Peter's in it as the mayor, and Michael Pere is the sheriff. And, uh, and you're in it as one of the merchants. And um, uh, it was a great cast. and a good time. And something that's very exciting about that film is um, – I, um, 
I, um, I'm going, uh, the movie is actually going to be uh, uh, black and white. And I'm going to, and we're, we're, it's, it's, it's going to have a 50s Western style to the whole thing. And it's going to be something really different, but really familiar. Because it's, we, we all used to watch movies from the 50s and TV series and Rifleman and right. his own TV series and, and uh, uh, you know, all these old shows. And, and it really lends itself well to just giving you that feeling again of what you remember as a kid watching an old Westerns. And uh, I'm really excited for people to see it. So uh, we're almost ready to lock picture. And then after that, we'll go into sound and music and uh, color correction. Actually, not color correction, grayscale correction <laughs> is what it's going to be. Grayscale. Uh, yeah, yeah. It looks spectacular in black and white. I actually, I got the, I got the belief that I could do it when, so, you know, when camera assistants are pulling focus, I don't uh-huh. know how many people are familiar with cameras, but generally there's an operator and then there's someone that actually uh, uh, focuses the camera, which is called the focus puller, or the uh, camera assistant. And a lot of times they'll, they'll pull focus. They often pull focus on a monitor on the camera. Sometimes though, that monitor, that monitor has what's called focus peaking where you can actually see what's in focus in color. But sometimes the guys will change the, the monitor to black and white and they can see sometimes the focus better because the high contrast that they could create with a black and white screen. And I'm looking at one of my focus pullers pulling focus in black and white. And it was like, this can work. This, this looks, wow. this just looks back. I'm watching the scene being shot on a monitor on the camera. And I feel like I'm watching the rifleman from when, when I was a kid and I got really excited. And then, so, uh, through the first, um, no, I'm not after the first during while we've been editing, I told my editor, Chris, I want you now to edit everything, just convert, just change. Oh, I know what it was. He, uh, he sent me a cut of the movie, and I, I changed my screen. You know, if you're on an Apple, you can go to system preferences sure. and change the screen so it's black and white, and then you can up the contrast. So I watched the whole movie in black and white, and I'm like, bam, that's what we're doing. We're going to make this movie in black and white, and uh, it's going to be different and original, yet something familiar, and it's going to be great. So I'm really excited by that, really excited. Yeah. Well, you were very generous in sending those of us in one of the scenes a scene, and um, yeah. and we got to see it in black and white. And it look, it does. It looks marvelous. It, it truly looks marvelous. Yeah, that was, and that was actually low contrast. Wait till you see it, the contrast up and everything matching, because you know color oh, correction sure. is a vital part of the process. Uh, a lot of people don't make movies, don't really realize probably how vital color correction is to the process. But even in black and white, it's it's vital. But uh, yeah, I was excited to send you guys a, screen, a, a scene. Uh, uh, Tony Herbert was was asking me for a scene, so I said, you know something, I'm gonna I'm gonna give everybody the scene. And uh, uh, I don't know why people hide things. Uh, it only helps. It only helps. So uh, a lot of times people don't want anybody to see anything until it's done. But I'm always proud of my work in the process. And uh, that was even temp music uh, in there. So wait till you see it with the proper uh, direction. I'm, I'm eager. I'm even more thrilled and more eager now. To see the entire thing, yeah. I, I I I think I'd be remiss if I don't give a shout out to Tony, Hebert and uh, Herbert and uh, Mike Gaglio, and uh, uh-huh. let's see who was all in that. And and uh, was there, there was there, uh, Brock. Um, yeah, I mean it was it was a nice. Group. Larry Poole. Um, Larry Poole. Yeah. Uh, plays a deputy. Um, <clears throat> Michael Perret, yeah. sheriff. Michael Perret was a sheriff. Um, uh, Brett Culpepper was there. Brock Burnett. And, uh, yep. Bob, and by the Bob, way, 
Pardon me? Uh, uh, you guys, Bob Wild, you guys were in the uh, uh, in in the mayor's office scene, which, by the way, uh, uh, your 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 listeners might find amusing. It was actually, it actually started pouring outside, and <laughs> thankfully, right. the moment it started, the moment it started pouring, we we got to go inside and shoot the mayor's office. We were just shooting outside, and it right. started pouring, and like perfect timing because we're going to shoot inside. But I remember during your scene. Uh, and your coverage, you could see it on the on the. You're not going to see it at the finished film. I'll, I'll take it out. But there's raindrops coming through the <laughs> ceiling of the of the of the building, dropping right in front of your face. And uh, and it's in the cut right now. But my visual effects guy will get rid of it, and the audience will never know. But it was literally raining on wreck through the ceiling <laughs> while we're shooting the. Scene. You just kept going, which was great. It was amazing. My and Peter. <laughs> Peter, yeah, you know, yeah. Peter is, is is quite the jokester. So I, I remember him saying, you know, that uh, something to the fact, I have an outtake. I mean, I have it on my, you know, my phone. And he was saying, um, yeah, he, he, he had some guy said, hey, you know, it's leaking in here. Why don't you fix it? And he said something to the effect, like, we don't use it that often. And uh, he said, or he said, because it's raining. We can't fix it when it's raining. He said, well, you fix it when it's not raining. And he, he was like, well, then I don't need to. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. I, I have to send you the clip because it's funny. I, I didn't do it justice, well, it, but it, Peter, it, Peter's always got a funny it, line here. And you probably have it on film it's anyway. Peter Schrakel, it's Peter Schrakel logic. But uh, is, that one cabin, we actually used one side of it as the train station. One side was the sheriff's house. And then the interior at the mayor's office and the printing uh, uh, press uh, business. Uh, so we used that one set wow. in four different locations. And, and it was that, also in my movie, Soul's Revenge, it was Frank's cabin uh, in that movie. So uh, wow. we got a lot of use out of that one set. Wow, and that was yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, is it the train station where, they're, where, they're, where the mayor and uh, uh, they're collecting Jake the money Busey. for the. Jake Busey. Pardon me. Well, well, it's where Jake Busey, who plays uh, uh, Mr. York, announces uh, the competition. Um, and that's right. That the, and, and the yeah. scene gets there's a, there was a I don't want to give anything away, but Tim Abel and I think Vern Walker were were and Michael and oh, the, and stuff. Yeah. In the afternoon, yeah, that was a very cold afternoon. Scene. I remember, huh? Yeah, there's a big cowboy fight scene on that train station uh, 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 platform. Which, by the way, Christian Ramirez and his crew did a great job turning the cabin one side of the cabin into a train station. Uh, yes. But yeah, wow. we did it. Yeah. You haven't seen the fight scene. It's great. Actually, it came out really well. So. Well, I yeah. look forward to it again. I really look forward to it. That was, that was part of when I was close to the video village and, and had that opportunity to look. And the, the young woman actress, one of the things that very much impressed me is I, I can't think of her name. She's, she's actually from Wisconsin. Um, uh, oh, Skylar Witt. Skylar, and she yeah, was sitting was there, and you role in a movie. And you were explaining lenses to her and shots to her. I was like, it was so cool. You would, you said, okay, and then we're gonna do this and that and the other thing. And I was like, wow, how awesome. Well, I like teaching people how to make movies because I love it and it fascinates me, and it actually kind of drives me crazy sometimes how a lot of people don't know this stuff and it's important to know if you're going to work on movies. So I enjoy talking about it and I could talk about it all day long. Um, but Skyler actually was an extra for me in a movie uh, back earlier last year. And um, 
and uh, she's just a great girl. And my wife and Skylar have become friends, and um, we helped Skylar get her SAG card, and then that was her first speaking role in a movie, actually. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, and she has a really, really cute scene where um, one of the characters is spinning his gun and being a show-off, and he's come to town to be in the competition. And uh, she has a really cute scene with him, and uh, um, I'm actually really excited by that scene. Actually, every I, I really like uh, every scene's a lot of fun in that movie. That movie has a, a little tongue-in-cheek kind of fun to it that I think people enjoy. And um, um, what's great too, I think that movie will be enjoyed by you know your old cowboy who's who uh, you know who can throw back a whiskey. Uh, 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 an entire whiskey bottle, and it'll be enjoyed just as much by uh, by a mother and daughter watching the movie. You know, it's got kind of something for everybody. So. No, that's really cool. Very, very cool. Now, you just also finished a movie in Hawaii. I did. I did. That's actually my fifth movie in Hawaii. Uh, that movie is called Secrets in the Water. I made it for a company called Marvista Entertainment, who I make a lot of movies for, and uh, start. Um, Serena Vincent and two young actresses, uh, Emily Skinner and uh, Alexis Jade Burnett, and um, and and Brian Krause, who uh, you and I you know also, um, right, yeah. and uh, and actually a, a bunch of local Hawaiian actors who who haven't acted much before and um, and did a wonderful job. I'm really proud of them. Uh, this young kid named Chad Mann has never even been on a movie set before, and. Um, I, I gave him a shot and, and he really came through. It was great. Um, so that movie went great. I love shooting in Hawaii. I bring a small crew with me and, uh, and we stay at, uh, we stay at a, at this beautiful compound. Uh, this woman named Gina Nikolai and her family own this compound in Lanikai beach on the east side of Oahu. And uh, we stay there, we shoot there and uh, we basically film a movie and go on a vacation at the same time. And uh, the movie looks, spectacular because every shot has just turquoise water in it and <laughs> rainbows and palm trees. It's just, it's, it's really a joy making a movie in Hawaii. Wow. Great wow. I really suggest people going to Hawaii. It's a great place. The people in Hawaii are wonderful. Um, and, and you know, it's, you have a, you have a mix between kind of Hawaii locals and military and, um, a lot of military families who, who, who've been moved to Hawaii to work at Pearl Harbor and other places there on, in the islands. And they're just, they're all just great people. You feel really safe in Hawaii. Everybody drives very civilly, very slowly. They take their time. Nobody's in a rush. You know, it's, it's a, it's a nice change from Los Angeles and I really enjoy it. And then you're. Go ahead. I didn't mean to with, picture. With, I was just saying it's, it's really the garden of Eden in some respects. It's, it's a wonderful place. So. No, I agree with you. I, I, I found it so amusing because uh, the last time, every time I'm there, you know, somebody will say, okay, you're, you're not on the mainland. This is, this is the islands. Just relax. There's right. nothing to do, nowhere yeah. to go, nothing to be, you know, don't worry. It's almost like Jamaica, you know, don't worry, just relax, take it easy, you know? And uh, I mean, almost yeah, to I the mean, point of, yeah. go ahead. What were you going to say? No, to the point of what? I was going to say almost to the point of, of being annoying. It's like, you relax, relax. Like, we're trying. If you stop telling me to relax, I'll relax. Uh, uh, it, they were wonderful, yeah, but, but they, no, they were very caring in that. They were trying to say, look, this is, this is like heaven. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the Aloha spirit. Uh, yeah. and they try to live that way. It's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Yep. That's very, very cool. Um, so, um, and and w- can you give a little bit of the uh, the story, the plot behind this this movie? Oh, uh, Secrets of the Water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, basically, it starts off with uh, with uh, Serena Vincent's. Uh, uh, it actually gives away a lot in the beginning, but uh, we find we find a young girl dead in the beginning of the movie. And then, and then we find out that it's uh, Serena Vincent. Serena Vincent was in Cabin Fever, and she was the Yellow Power Ranger, and she's the mom from the Disney series Stuck in the Middle. And um, 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 Serena and uh, the girl who we find dead, her best friend, are searching for the killer. And uh, with a little help from Brian Krause, the sheriff, and uh, it's sort of a little whodunit as to you know, finding the, the killer of this girl's daughter, of this woman's daughter. And there's flashbacks to, to uh, their relationship and their best friend's relationship. And um, as we, I'm not going to give it away, but as we go further, we learn more that's uh, kind of shocking. And uh, it's a fun little ride, actually. And uh, uh, I think it'll be enjoyable. I'm certain that it'll sell to Lifetime Channel uh, or Lifetime Movies. That's, that's where these movies are really designed to go. And uh, I have a lot of movies that play on the Lifetime Channel or what's called LMN, Lifetime Movie Network. And, um, and you just had a couple years today. Um, Didn't you? Uh, I have literally this month, every other day, I have a movie playing. And uh, <laughs> March 20th, I have a movie premiering on Lifetime Channel, which is called, get this, Rex, My Daughter's Psycho Friend. <laughs> 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 and uh, it was. It was they, they like changing the names of my movies to these crazy names. Uh, it was actually originally called. It was called The New Girl, and then they changed it to My Daughter's Psycho Friend. And, and crazy enough that the movie playing right after My Daughter's Psycho, Psycho Friend is another movie of mine uh, called Psycho Nurse. So on March 20th, you'll have My Daughter's Psycho Friend and Psycho Nurse all brought to you by Michael Pfeiffer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so let me ask you um, for but not just the, the, the filmmaker side, but the, the production side of it, but for the actor side of it. Um, because you've mentioned giving people a shot, you mentioned you know first time parts and things like that. What do you expect? I know it's very different in, in many cases, but 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 you like I said, you you your your set is inviting and it's welcoming and it's it's a safe place. What do you what do you hope or expect the actor or the new actor or the let's just say new actor to the business, but that could be, but also the new actor to your production or the new yeah. crew member to production to bring what, what game do you want them to bring so that they can fit in and be a part of the production and add value to your team? Well, well, for, so for a new actor, first of all, there's the first thing, what not to bring. Okay. Yes. Do not bring attitude. Okay. Do not bring a diva attitude because that does not go well. Uh, and don't bring insecurity, but what you can bring is know your dialogue, know your lines, be an open book, be creative, do your homework. Uh, it's really important to do your homework. It's really important actually to really think about a backstory of your character. Um, one of my favorite actors I work with is uh, and one of my, one of the best guys, a guy named Michael Welch. Michael Welch is in all the twilight movies. He's a brilliant, right. brilliant actor. You know, he's going to end up on, he's going to end up with his own television series or in big, big theatrical films where he's the star uh, the guy's brilliant, and he's one of the few actors I've ever worked with who actually writes an entire one or two or sometimes three-page background on his character that doesn't exist awesome. in the script. 
You know, he will he because he needs to know his character entirely, so he knows what his character is going to do. You don't know until you're on set what blocking scheme the director's going to come up with. You don't know the actors you're going to be acting against. Uh, we don't even re-rehearse very often. We don't even do read-throughs because I've done this so many times. So, and, and even if you do, it's, it's a stale environment. It's not the same thing as being on set. So on set, you need to be ready for anything. And so when you have a background history of your actor that you really thought about, of your character, then you're, then you're, you're able to bring, I think, more to it and, uh, and, and give it um, more texture and more depth and and come up with things that 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 you know the director can't come up with as we talked about you could be the you could be the director who sits and focuses on the actors all you want but you can't come up with the mannerisms for for actors you know you can't sit there and 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 you could try but it's not going to work but an actor comes prepared ready with texture with thoughts about his character her character knowing your lines um a good attitude uh so that allows you to be creative that allows you to be open. That allows you also, you don't know who your, your scene is going to be with sometimes, you know, uh, and, and, or you might know the person, but they might act completely differently on set. So you have to be kind of be prepared to kind of just sort of, you know, go with the punches and, uh, and, uh, and be free to experiment. And, and that's what I like. That's what I like about an actor uh, when an actor comes on my sets is to kind of just go for it, be free, uh, uh, lose that, that, that wall that people can put up. Uh, no insecurity, just, just be confident and just try things. And, and by the way, we shoot digital, you know, you're virtually any of your listeners when they act 99.9% of the time, they'll be shooting on a digital format. Digital format means it doesn't cost much money to do another take. Um, so you can always say to the director, Hey, can I have another take? Or I'm going to try it this way. Do you mind if I try it this other way on another take? You know, a director should like that. Um, an editor really likes that a lot when you give them different mm-hmm. things and different ideas. You know, also when you're an actor and you're say you're new, um, generally 99% of the time, 90% of the time, a director is going to shoot the scene first in a wide master. So use that wide master to try things out, to play with things. Cause really a wide master, let's say a scene is three minutes long. You're only going to be in that wide master, maybe for the beginning of the scene, somewhere in the middle, somewhere at the end. Maybe out of three minutes, the, the director or the editor might be on that wide master for 10 seconds of the entire scene, 20 seconds or less. So use that wide master to kind of feel out the scene, get a sense of what you want to do, so that when, you come, when the director comes in for coverage, medium shots, close-ups, you know, uh, you, you've sort of honed what that scene is about and what that character is trying to accomplish in that scene. You know, and, and if a director is shooting a close-up before a master, it's not a bad idea to say to the director, hey, do you mind if we shoot the master first? Because I'm trying to get a sense of what we're doing in the scene. And usually if a director is shooting a close-up before a master, they might not really know what they're doing. And you might actually have just given them some good advice. <laughs> very cool. No. Very, very cool. Um how important is it for the actor to know their place in the script? Meaning sometimes people have one scene, sometimes they have one word, sometimes they have 10 scenes. When that person comes, you know, sometimes that person's got one scene is thinking, this is my moment. This is when I'm the star, you know, versus how do I fit into the story and what do I, what part of the story well, do I help further? every actor needs to know where they are in the script. Actually, 
it's actually much harder on a director and a script supervisor than it is on an actor. An actor needs to do that. And that's part of the homework I'm talking about. So like, for instance, what I do when I, when I, um, when I'm um, in prep and we're getting close to shooting, I send out the entire crew and the entire cast, of course, the script, the actor days out of days, the schedule, um, the call sheet, the crew list. Okay. But what I also send out is a line by line breakdown of the entire script. So that's the entire script with a one, one line description from scene one to say 100. And mm-hmm. I think that's a vital piece of information, piece of uh, paper uh, or a document for an actor to use to go through and mark off emotions and where they are in the story. Of course, there's scripts. This is a, a big pet peeve I have in mind, actually, which is that um, everybody depends on sides. So if your listeners don't know what sides are, what it is is, is if you're going to go for an audition, for instance, uh, they might have sides for you, which is just an, another name for the scenes from which you're going to audition for. So let's say it's scene 12, okay? Scene 12 will have the sides for scene 12, which is just the pages of the scripts from scene 12. So what we do on set is we give everybody the day of the sides for the day. So if we're going to shoot scenes 53, 54, 67, and 72, we'll give just those, those, those pages for the day. Now, I don't like that. It drives me crazy. I wish that actors would just have their scripts and they would mm-hmm. take notes in their scripts and forget about the sides and, and have their with them. I mean, back in the day of like, say, I mean, come on, Gone with the Wind or Alfred Hitchcock movies, the, the, the actors would get leather bound scripts and that was mm. theirs. And they didn't have copy machines back then. They didn't have computers. They couldn't print out sides every morning, you know, so you had to have your script. And I really recommend to actors to have your script, write your notes in your script, write your story, character, background, and script, go from scene to scene and make notes about your character, where they're at in the story. Take that document that I have with the, uh, with the scene breakdown and put that in your, your binder, make yourself a binder and really keep track for yourself. And don't be so reliant on the sides. Now sides are great because, you know, if you're acting, you could stick them in your pocket. Cause we usually make them little, we call them mini sides, right? And you can stick them in your pocket. So, you don't, you could be on set and just pull them out of your pocket. That's fine. But have your binder with your script and your notes and everything nearby. Um, so that you can always refer to those. And when actors have that, to me, that means they've done their homework. They highlight. I love when actors have done their homework and they have highlighter pen in there and they have notes in there and they've really sort of figured out where they are story-wise and, uh, and, and have all that information. And I think it's a great tool to have. And I think that decides the world of making sides has sort of destroyed that tool a little bit. I'd like to see actors get back to that. Well, you know, it, it, I think a lot of it is, is based on technology. Back, you know, I started acting professionally in 74 and or when I joined Screen Actors Guild. And then, you know, you, you were presented a script. You didn't print out a script. You, you know, you didn't get email a script. You got the script when you went to the office, you know, and you picked up the script. And then that was your script. You didn't, you know, it wasn't like you're going to get another one. And right. And you worked on that script and you made all your, like you were saying, you made all your notes of script, but then you also had it so that you could have all the cast and crew sign the script, which was a, a yeah, big that, part of the ritual. Yeah. That was a great thing. It doesn't really exist anymore. And I'd like to get back to it. You know, yeah, I don't it, even, we used to, we used to have scripts on hand. We used to print. It's so funny how it's dwindled. When I first started making movies, we would print maybe 30, 40 scripts. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I, I knew the cheapest copy place in town and I knew that it was cheaper to use two brads instead of three. And, right. and, 
you know, uh, uh, you know, and then it went down to say, well, we only need 20 scripts to have around on the movie because now actors are printing their own scripts. So we just have them on set. Then it became to, well, now we only need to have about 10 scripts sitting around the production office. Now we don't even print scripts anymore, except for I'll print mine for my binder, you know, but we don't even have to have scripts sitting on set for anybody anymore, which is cool. And it saves you money. But at the same time, it means that people don't as much, you know, they'll use, they'll use iPads, they'll use their phones, or they'll depend on the side. But I really think that a great tool for an actor is to have that document, that script, with all the materials that you've been provided with, and then make your notes in it. Now, if you lose it, it kind of sucks. Yeah, but it doesn't happen very often. But uh, um, uh, it's, I think it's a great tool to have, and I'd like to see actors get back to that. Um, well, and, and use that. One of the disappointments uh, uh, of being on set with you was that I brought my script. I go back and forth between LA and, and the Midwest. I'm a divorced dad. My kids were in the Midwest. I, I wanted to be able to raise my children. So, you know, I ended up here. So I go back and forth and I printed out my script and I came out and I was going to have everybody sign it. And I left it in my dressing room and I went, well, you know, and I just, and I didn't, and I came back home without a signed script. And I was like, how could right. I have done that? You know, I was really, I was really disappointed that I didn't get it, that I didn't get it signed. Well, so. well remember nobody else is doing it. You know, back in the day, everybody was well, at the end of the shoot. But, yeah. you know, you forgot because nobody else is doing it, you know? Well, and I wasn't there at the wrap day. I mean, I was wrapped out before you, a couple of days before the film was wrapped. And so, yeah, you know, it was right. not that, that kind of, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's always fun, it's, though. Uh, it is. And, and you know what? Let me take a moment just to remind people that they're listening to Rex Sykes' Movie Beat. And uh, the official website, which is, is not updatable anymore, it's rexsykes.com. It's my name, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. But you can also find these on Blog Talks. You can also find them on Apple or on iTunes and elsewhere. And I encourage each and every one of you, if you're enjoying the show and if you're enjoying Michael and my discussion, that you share it, you promote it, you let other people know about it so that they too can benefit um, in the way that perhaps you have and and share because there's a lot of great information that that my guest Mike Mike Pfeiffer is giving you right now after having produced and written and directed you know up to 200 movies um, so please do share it in, in social media you can tweet about it you can Instagram it you can you know give it away is what I'm asking you to do and uh, and remember <clears throat> that. Um, Stay tuned to my Facebook walls, which is Rex Sykes or Rex Steven Sykes. I've got two different profiles there. And to uh, announcements about upcoming future guests. And, uh, and, and uh, because you're going to want to also uh, pay attention to them. And if you hear about something coming up uh, or a guest, you know, feel free to uh, contact me and uh, through the website and, uh, and tell me about it, and then I will try to um, to uh, uh, see if I can secure the guest or, or or find out about an event or something like that and make that known. All right, so uh, we're back with uh, Mr. Michael Pfeiffer, and um, I'm really enjoying this, Mike. It's, it's really uh, I'm learning a lot, and I'm and I'm happy to uh, to be able to talk to you this way and and to discuss uh, a project that I was lucky enough to be involved in. Um, what do you have coming up in terms of what you're doing? Um, well, I, I actually, I'm going to make another Western. Uh, in fact, I might make three Westerns in a row, but the first one is called 
Cat's the Bullet. It's, uh, it's written by a writer named Jerry Robbins. And uh, I'm really excited. Um, it's uh, it's going to star my, my good friend Jay Pickett. And uh, oh, great. looks like Val Kilmer is going to be in this one too, which uh, Val Kilmer has been in a couple of my Westerns. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're casting right now, but um, um, I'm really excited to be doing another Western. Uh, I'm really lucky that that all sort of came about. And um, uh, we are supposed to go into production April 6th. Hopefully uh, things will have calmed down regarding the coronavirus by then. And uh, right, right. we'll be able to work because I think a lot of people are going to need work. And um, by the way, let me say something about the coronavirus is uh, I think that let's, since we're all sort of kind of isolating ourselves and quarantining ourselves, it's a really good time for filmmakers, potential filmmakers to take time to write scripts, to come up with ideas, to create, you know, it's a good time to create because what happens is when you're busy making films, you're not actually securing the materials that you need to make more films. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing. I mean, uh, um, and, and I, you, know, you know, if you're not a screenwriter and you don't know much about screenwriting, you could just, even if you're putting together ideas for stories, or I like to search the internet and, and news websites and things. And when I find them, I, I save them to my email and I put a special subject heading so that when I go and I search that special subject heading on my email, all these ideas come up and, um, and, and oftentimes I'll be talking to a producer or something. And they're like, hey, you have an idea for something? Like, you know, there was a story. Let me go look for it. And, and, and then we might end up making that movie. Um, so I, I just think it's really important. You know, uh, for me, I make movies 24 hours a day. And if I'm not actually <laughs> making a movie, I'm thinking about making movies. Or I'm writing a script. Or I'm coming up with concepts for new scripts. Or I'm researching cameras. Or I'm researching lights. Or I'm, whatever, or I'm talking with friends about making movies. So it's it's just a lifestyle, you know? So I, I think during this time, uh, because what's going to happen to all of us, probably, we don't know how long this is going to go on for and things are going to be shut down. But when things open up again, you're going to be a lot better off if you have scripts that you wrote during this time, story ideas you came up with, friends you talked to about ideas, and then you can jump on them and generate them real fast once everybody's back to living uh, a normal life. That's excellent advice. And, and uh, I also... Uh, like the the position that you take, you know, there's a silver lining with everything. I mean, Napoleon Hill said, you know, in every uh, adversity, there's a seed of opportunity. And uh, e- even though that we find that there are trying times, like you just said, it's an opportunity to to get creative, to focus on on creating more content and and being ready for when uh, the business resumes. So. Um, I, I, right. I, I really appreciate that. That That is true. And um, in the same it's way so, that going to so Hawaii is... Go ahead. Uh, I would say during this time, though, don't write a movie about a contagion because everybody's be writing that. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, right. That's all that's on my mind now is like contagion movies, Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman, uh, zombie movies. Like maybe write something different because I don't think anybody's going to want to see a contagion movie after all this. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, it, it, it's true. I mean, it, you know, and for the first time, we're kind of living through a movie. I mean, you know, the movies that we've watched, and um, yeah, well, uh, well, not the first you, time because uh, those of us who can remember, you know, there was, uh, you know, September 10th was very different from September 12th. You know, yes, after well, this September 11th, and uh, and and this will be one of these times too. You know, life 
hopefully, I mean, I, I hope that there's a positive that comes out of all this, which is that people will take, you know, washing their hands more seriously. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take, uh, you know, let's not depend on other countries to manufacture everything right. for us. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And so I hope we learn those lessons too after all this, but um, you know, I mean, we, we, the flu has just become ubiquitous and we, we just sort of like treat it like, Oh yeah, the flu exists. 27,000 people a year die from it. Well, maybe, uh, maybe after this, we'll, we'll actually uh, wash our hands more and, uh, and uh, not spit on each other and, <laughs> right, right. and not get the flu much either. You know, maybe the flu will not become as, uh, as, as standard. We've just accepted the flu as, as uh as just something that happens but maybe uh maybe we'll you know maybe restaurants will clean their menus say if you if you're out there and you own a restaurant clean your menus i hear the menus the dirtiest part of a restaurant so, well you know you no, know. yeah that's an excellent point i mean they truly are just like every touch screen that you ever touch um i i i oddly enough i i said to somebody the other day i said hey the good news is is they're cleaning the subways you know and uh, right right exactly <laughs> Right. I mean, in other words, you know, the idea that we have, if if you're if you're a shipbuilder and you you put your ship in the water, you want to know where the weaknesses are in the hull, <laughs> you know. Right. And so, right. so if it springs leaks before your maiden voyage, you can correct them, and uh, and yeah. that's a good that's thing. You know, thing. if you put it in and it leaks, instead of going crap, my my boat sucks, fix it. And this is an that's opportunity right. for us to fix all the cracks in our society. Well, we may not fix all of them, but but if we aren't aware of them, and if they aren't addressed, then they can't be fixed, and they won't be fixed. But now we've got a good, real good view of a lot of the problems that we've been living with for a long time, and that we were not prepared for something like this, and so that it makes it more likely. That, you know, I mean, I, I grew up with the the Boy Scout Girl Scout model of always be prepared, you know, and um, so maybe maybe you know. It's a, it's a, it's 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 a wake up call more than anything else. You know, we can look at things as a catastrophe, or we can look at them as as alarms. Going, hey, you know, use this one to circumvent or negotiate the next one better or more easily by what you've learned. So, and 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 to bring the conversation back to film, you to know, movies. it's important to be a glass half full person. You know, it's it's important when you're making movies. You know, making movies is really difficult and. If you're a glass half full person, if you're somebody who wants to see, uh, so so for instance, I have another mantra with making movies, which I call FCWTP. To make a movie good, fast, and cheap, specifically independent films, you need to be FCWTP, and that stands for flexible, compromising, and with the program. That's a very awesome. neat glass half full sort of attitude about making movies, which is that, you know, if it's raining, right? Let's say for instance, in your scene, it was raining. And right. water was actually dripping in while we we're shooting the scene. Well, I know that we could keep shooting. Let's not freak out. I know my visual effects guy can get rid of the raindrops. And, and we might have to compromise with where you're sitting. I might have to change the, the, the arrangement or whatever. But, you know, let's be flexible. We'll be compromising. And with the program in that situation was we got to get it done tonight. We don't have the money to come back tomorrow because it's raining, you know. So we got to right. come up with a solution that's safe for everybody. That's right, you know. And uh, – you know, it's the same thing with, with, you know, what we're talking about with coronavirus or whatever. It's, 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 it's really being able to adjust and be flexible and then fix things accordingly. Um, and that's really important with movie production. It's a critical, critical thing. If you're too rigid with movie production, you're going to end up – I mean, I, 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 I've been on movie sets that, that I was not directing and not producing where 
you know, they didn't even get the first shot up for like five, six hours. I mean, that's just, that's insane. Two hours. Okay. It's understandable. Five, six hours. Uh, you've got a problem, you know? So where's the roadblock? Who's not being FCWTP, you know, who's not with the program. And uh, um, so it's critical on movies to really have an attitude of come up with salute, be a problem solver, you know, come up with solutions. So how do you move? Uh, uh, this is awesome. Now you also said that you've taught a program, you know, in filmmaking or taught uh, workshops or classes in filmmaking. How do you, uh, how do you do the opposite of what you just described? Uh, move everything along so that it doesn't take five hours to get the shot. How do you get your lighting people and the rehearsal and the camera and, you know, everything to uh, be up and ready for you and the actors to, to bring it to life? Well, that really comes from a, that's a couple things. One is being experienced, okay, being experienced. So the more experience you have on set, the more efficiently and the more uh, you have the confidence to say to somebody, hey, listen, I need to shoot the scene now, okay? Uh, we're not going to be able to wait 40 minutes for you to light with the 12Ks outside. Uh, we're going to use the natural light. Uh, you know, maybe use a negative fill here and, and why don't we just put a, 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 one of our led light mats over here and whatever it's, it's knowing your business and being confident. Um, and then it's also what I call a gotta go mentality. Okay. I'm always on set. Come on guys. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. It's keeping, you know, there's nothing worse to me than starting a day off slow and then rushing everybody at the end of the night. Cause you gotta get right, your day done. Right. Well, if you had gone quick, if you had a gotta go mentality at the beginning of the day, you wouldn't be rushing at the end of the day, you know, and you're going to get more done. You're going to get more opportunity for coverage. The more coverage you get, the better you can make your movie. The more time you have to shoot a scene, the better you're going to make a movie. So, you know, uh, uh, making decisions quickly and decisively. And remember what I said earlier about being wrong. It's okay to be wrong. Nobody even needs to know that you're wrong. There are no real wrong answers in making movies, you know, cause it's also, it's just creative and subjective. And, and, uh, um, uh, so, being decisive is important and you might make, make a, you might make a wrong decision, but because you're so decisive and quick, you made up for that wrong decision. And now you have lots of right decisions ahead of you. You know what I mean? Um, so, so it's really twofold. Uh, uh, a lot of people are new to filmmaking. They might not have the experience, obviously to be able to tell their DP what they want really efficiently or tell a DP they're moving slow or tell a grip and light crew or tell the art department. But if anything, you could be prepared you know what you want. Um, uh, as a director, the most important thing is your blocking scheme. No. So, you know, if you haven't been to the location already, which you really should have, you should have done a tech scout and checked it out and you should know it in your head and know what you want to do. If you haven't, you should be able though to walk on. I can walk on a set that I've never seen in my life before and know my scene and come up with a blocking scheme really fast. I mean, literally in milliseconds, you know, and, and if you haven't directed before, but you lived a life, right? We, we've all lived a life. We know if a scene in, in, in entails somebody uh, sitting on the living room couch and then uh, someone falls through the ceiling and then a fight ensues in the living room, ensues the living room, and, and, then they, and then one person escapes and runs off the bathroom and locks yourself in, right? And that's the scene. We, we know what's going to We know what people are going to do in that situation. You can make it up, you know? So get your actors out there. Before, by the way, it's really critical. A lot of people don't agree with this, but remember I've produced over a hundred movies. What I think is important is send your actors to wardrobe and makeup first and you tell 
your DP what's going to happen. Don't rehearse with your actors ahead of time that blocking scheme so your DP can light. Let them go to wardrobe makeup, and when they come back, tell them what you want them to do, and this is the space we have, and this is what we've lit, and then work within those parameters. What happens a lot of times in movies is if you bring your actors on set before they've gone to wardrobe makeup and you start rehearsing, you start blocking, and then too many voices come into play, and then everybody's got something to say, before you know it, they haven't been to wardrobe and makeup for an hour or two hours. Right. Now they've got to go to wardrobe makeup. So, that's a, so what you want to do is you want all wor- worlds to converge at once. So you want your actors to come to set and get makeup immediately. And while they're getting makeup, you've come to set and you've already told your DP what the blocking scheme is going to be. And the DP's already lighting it. You can use stand-ins or use crew as, as stand-ins if you need to. And, uh, and then you've got a basic area lit and you pretty much know what you're going to do. You might have laid out your track for your dolly. So the time that it takes to light the scene and to lay the track and to bring the cameras, have the cameras up and running, might take 45 minutes an hour. In that time, you've already got the wardrobe and makeup done in 45 minutes an hour. All worlds converge together, and boom, you're off and running, and you're making your movie. If you bring the actors to set early, and you get involved in discussions, and you get them, and then they're involved in what the blocking scheme's going to be, and they're telling you, and then your DP's like, well, what if we did this, and what if we did that, and then you're indecisive, you don't get your first shot off in four or five hours. So being decisive making decisions, being a leader, that's how you get your day going, and having a got-to-go mentality. Don't rely on your AD. Be your own. You know, you could be your own AD. You could have an AD. Uh, uh, <laughs> of course, I do movies with ADs, but, but you kind of have to be your own AD in your head. Don't rely on your AD to move everything along. You've got to be the one pushing everybody forward in a nice way. You know, I say champion people. Don't yell at people. Champion people, you know. Don't be a jerk but be forceful in a way that you get what you got, what you need to get done, but you also get your day done on time. So people can be done on time. Actually on shooting star, we got probably half the movie done three hours early every day, you know? So well, it yeah. very... No, it, and it's funny that you said what you said, because I was, uh, what I'm thinking when, when you were talking with them, like you're your own AD. I mean, you, you know, because of your experience, you, you, you know how to move a set, you know how to move people. You, and two of the takeaways, and there are many that I took away from that, but, uh, was uh, one is experience is required. In other words, you know what to do and how to do it because of the vast experience that you've had, both producing, line producing, directing, you know, and 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 bringing these these creations alive. And, and then the other one is um, the fact that oh, now it just slipped my mind. Can you believe it? Um, well, 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 well. Talking about experience, so something important is that. To, to, to interrupt you and help you out there with that is um, go ahead give is, me give me a senior uh, moment don't 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 your first movie you direct don't make that your first time on set don't be that guy who thinks he could direct a movie he's never been on set before she's never been on set before right. nothing more that makes me upset and nothing makes me makes a crew more upset than somebody who does like i didn't direct my first movie until i produced 30 and ad like 12 movies you know i didn't direct my first movie until i knew i was ready for it you know so if you want to be a director, uh, edit movies because it's really good to understand coverage and understand uh, crossing the line, the 180 rule, all that right, stuff. Right. Really critical to understand as a director. Uh, the other thing, the other two jobs you can do is script supervise. Even for you know, I mean, it, it's just I know it's people might say, well, how do I get a script supervising job? Well, you could go on Craigslist and go find short films and things, and right. and say to people that couldn't afford a script supervisor, hey, I'm going to go work for free. Uh, um, or or just pay me like a PA and I'll be your script supervisor and I'll also PA for you. And then the other one is 
offer to be someone's assistant director. Maybe they didn't have enough money for an assistant director. Maybe you say to them, look, I'll be a PA. I'll do everything a PA does, but I want to be your AD, and I want to help run the set because an AD is the closest job to being a director. But work on sets. Work as a grip. Work in the camera department. Work as a production assistant before you get on a set and think that you can be a director. It drives me crazy that people think, I mean, would you – would I go on an airplane and just go sit in the cockpit and go fly a plane? I don't <laughs> I'm going to fly a plane. You know, well, you got to put the hours in. You know, I, I do think yeah. I think I think that the the the, the advent the the advance of technology has created that there are so many people I meet who they've never studied film, don't know anything about film, but they got an iPhone, so they want to direct a movie um, because hey, listen, they can. That's not, that's, and that, that's, that's not and bad. That's okay. I'm a, Right. I'm a big proponent of iPhones and shooting movies on yeah. iPhones. I'm a huge proponent of it. There's an app called Filmic Pro. It costs 15 bucks, and it gives you the amazing control of your iPhone. And, and I shoot shots with my iPhone sometimes with that mm-hmm. app. And Steven Soderbergh released two films theatrically in the last few years on iPhone, Unsane and uh, a High Flying Bird. And Lady right. Gaga's latest music videos on the iPhone. But is one tool, and it'll help get you there. But making movies, like I said, is a leadership. It's a social thing. It's getting along with others. It's, it's telling people what they, you need them to do and where to go. So there's so much. You can't just be in an insular world with your iPhone and two friends and think that you're a director. Because direct, you, you could be a storyboard artist maybe where you're not working with people. You're just with pencil and paper. But directing is, is, is producing. It's, it's, uh, it's psychology. It's being a therapist. You know, it's. There's a lot of therapy that goes on with directing. I'll tell you that, you know, just oh, getting comfortable, getting actors comfortable, getting what you need out of them. I mean, how many movies I've directed where I actually can't stand the, the actor, but I have to make <laughs> them think I like them all the way through, you know, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot to it. And so the more you work on movie sets, the more you get to know all of that world and you get a comfort factor and the more you understand and you understand uh, expediency, you understand timelines, you understand, uh, you know, you just start to get, uh, get in the game of it, you know. And, um, and by the way, a movie set, too, has well, – I, basically, to me, a movie set has three concentric circles, you know, if you think of it graphically. The middle circle is the actual set where the director, the DP, the AD, everybody's working together, the actors, right? The, mm-hmm. the next circle is, uh, is your, your, your honey wagon world, your wardrobe makeup, all that kind of stuff your production office. And then your third circle is kind of like just the world out there, you know, the world out there might be the neighbor who doesn't like you, or it could be uh, your producers driving you crazy. But, you know, the only way to really know how movies work and the mechanics of making a movie and directing is to be in that middle circle, the, the tiny concentric middle, smallest circle. That's when you're in the game. You know, it's, it's, it's like when somebody manages, these managers, somebody's a manager of a baseball team, but they never played baseball before. They never were really in the game. They know the game. They understand it. You watch it on TV, and now you're managing, but you never played it, so you really don't know the nuances. So you want to try and do something where you're in that concentric, in that middle circle. And, uh, and, and you know, when I used to produce movies before I was directing movies, and I produced movies for my father, I um, – I, um, um, I was always put in this position. I wasn't in the middle circle. I was producing. I was on the outside. And we would come up to this, like, let's say uh, uh, rap was supposed to be 9 o'clock at night. And it's like 9.15. And the crew wants to go home. And the director wants to shoot another scene. And the DP is, like, kind of wishy-washy. And they 
bring me on set, and I'm 25 years old, and everybody's staring at me going, Mike, what are we going to do? And I have to make a decision about money, time. It's whatever decision I make, I have to evaluate based on what happened in the day earlier. Was it the DP was slow? Did the director not make a decision? Were the actors difficult? Was the location? Was it something else that came up? And, and I would have to make a decision based on nothing because I wasn't in that middle circle, you know, and I didn't understand it. So I started ADing the movies I was producing and line producing because I wanted to control the pace of the set. And I wanted to know when, when, if we were going over why or how to get a, scene, a day done on time. And I wanted to control that because that was the way to make sure that my movies didn't go over budget because it was my father's money. Um, right. And then as I was ADing, I was honing my – I didn't realize it, but I was honing my skills as a director because ADing is really the best way to ultimately become a director because you're, you, the better the AD you are, the more a director can sit in the chair and, and do his thing. I mean, when I AD'd, I AD'd a line produced a movie for Al Pacino. And Al Pacino mm-hmm. was acting, was starring in it, and he was directing it. And I got to be on my game wow. because Al was depending right. on me. You know, I'm the one watching the monitor. He's on camera. He had these 20 minute long monologues, you know, and you got to be on your game. And, and, but, but, but there, if you're aiding a movie where somebody's directing and starring in it, you're, you're, uh, uh, you're somewhat directing the movie. I mean, you're, you're getting, you're not directing it, but you're, 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 you're learning and understanding the tools that you need to be a director. Um, right. And so when you're, the better the AD you are and the more your director can just sit in their chair and focus on other things. And then you could go off and tell the DP what needs to be done, or you could go tell the crew, or you could talk to the art department, or you could talk to costume or hair and makeup or, or the location owner and, and, and let the director focus on what the director wants to focus on, whether that might be, that might be more actor oriented director or lenses or whatever. And, um, and so the more, the better the AD you are, the better you are at honing your skills as a director. And so when it's your chance to direct, uh, you're going to be really in the game. You're really going to know what you're doing. You're really going to understand it. And you're going to feel very comfortable. The more comfortable you feel, the more the crew gets you, the more comfortable the crew is, and, uh, and the more they, they work for you and the more they care about the project. And it's all, it's all like it's just a domino effect, you know, and, in a positive way, you know. It is truly, truly, truly is amazing. I mean, and again, it goes back to having had the experience in 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 wearing a lot of different hats and knowing the the business of the business you're in inside and out. And um, right. And and by the way, knowing the business too, like uh, you know, it's important too to know the business of of film markets, of distribution, of um, film festivals. Uh, I mean, distribution is a major part of the business. So it's important. You have to know it's important as a filmmaker. And if you want to make a living making independent film is to not only know your job as a filmmaker and a director, but what happens to the film afterward or how are you going to get the money to make the film? The before and after of making a movie post-production. I mean, I post-production supervise all my movies. I do it. I oversee everything, you know, and the more you do and the more you get your hands dirty doing all those things, the better you get at it and the better and the more, the more issues that arise that you have learned, you have to learn from everything. You know, everything has to be a learning experience. I mean, I'm, I, I've been doing this for 28 years. I'm 51 years old and I still feel like every day I'm making a movie, I'm learning something new, you know, and it's just the way it is, you know? And, uh, and of course there's all new things coming out. I mean, you know, Netflix didn't exist and then they were distributing DVD. You'd have a DVD sent to your house, right? And right. you have to send the DVD back. 
And now Netflix is all streaming. I mean, that whole world has changed, you know, and who knows what's coming next. Maybe movies will be implanted in our brains, you know, <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's eventually going to happen, you know. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, Michael, um, let me let me say that end of the business uh, of distribution and market and, you know, raising money, everything. I would love to have you back to talk about that part of the business from the producing standpoint, uh, if you'd be willing to do that sometime in the future. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, it's, that's, it's, really a, it's really a critical part because, you know, it, 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 making movies is a bit of a chicken and egg thing, right? Like you can't make a movie unless you've made a movie. Uh, uh, how right, do you get the money right. to make a movie, right? But but there there are ways of doing it, and uh, I think it's important for people to understand. And you know, it doesn't really start with making a movie always. It can start with uh, starting a production company, and you you shoot lawyers' depositions, you shoot bad yeah, commercials, right. you uh, you shoot bar mitzvahs, you know, and then you work your way, and then now you've got an experience level of 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 producing things which then could lead to ultimately to making movies or maybe you make a, a, a webisode television series that uh, you made with your friends. It didn't cost money, but you actually fabricated a finished product. So now someone's got trust in you, you know, and something that's really critical is to, is to, is to make sure you're always being a good moral, ethical filmmaker and business person. It's really critical because, something bad can really track you for a long time. If you did something wrong or you didn't treat somebody well, you really want to just really, just, just, just really stay as a, as a good ethical human being, business person, create a really good, strong track record for yourself. So if that track record starts with shooting, you know, videos for depositions for lawyers and commercials and that track record, you want to just, you want to just keep every step of the way. Just make sure that you're 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 creating a strong track record of, of uh, of good solid quality work and a and a work ethic, and 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 then good things will come to you. You know, there's no shortcuts to all this stuff. I mean, the problem is is that in this business we see shortcuts all the time. We see people they direct nothing, one movie that wins a film festival, and suddenly they're directing a Marvel movie or something, right? That right, doesn't right. really happen often. And and, right. and when it does happen there's huge support from the movie studio and we don't know, but they've done pickups and they've done reshoots. And then they, you know, the, the director might've been fired and another director came in and fixed it, but you didn't know that, you know? So, you know, those are anomalies, but really at the end of the day, guys like me who are in the trenches or guys like you've been acting since 1974, you know, we're it's, it's a marathon and, and, you know, you don't need to sprint the marathon. Just keep, just keep working, you know, and build a track record. And then, like I said, and if you want to talk about another time or tonight, distribution and understanding the distribution world, understanding how to find money for movies, uh, uh, how to get people to trust you to, to, to make a movie, how to tell, tell – don't you can't even tell people to make a profit on a movie. That's, that's, not, that's not moral to actually tell someone they're going to make a profit because most movies aren't profitable. So how do right, you get past right. that? You know? um, I, would, that. I would really love to save that for another time because it's an important topic and – uh, but I can do this. I mean, we could go long. If if you have the the ability to go long, we have uh, about you know another half hour. We could go if if, if you, or whatever. Well, five it's minutes. Fine me. It's depends uh, if you want to split up over time or if you want to just keep. I'd like no, no. I, no I, I, I had some other questions that I wanted to 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 pursue. I'm self quarantined, Rex. <laughs> <laughs> well, so <laughs> me too, actually. The uh, right. but the uh, <laughs> this is why technology is marvelous at this point. But the uh, 
um, it is such an important topic that I'd like to I'd like to actually save it for a time when we can discuss it at length. And I wanted to ask you some some questions, uh, follow up on some of the things we said. Uh, one was one was, uh, and let me take it back to um, uh, let me try and blend a couple of things here and see how successfully I can do that to to come up with a question. One is when when we did Shooting Star, we had I, I don't know like eight or different cast members in that barn scene. And uh, you know, coverage of a lot of different things. I think we shot for the better part of the day, and then you had something else you were shooting in the evening. Um, but we never felt rushed, and we ne it never really felt long. You you moved things along, and 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 the entire time, you know, you were. I think you know a director gets up before everybody else and probably goes to bed before everybody else or after everybody else and then and does it again and again and again and again. You know that that if anybody should wear out and get tired and have an edge, you know that might be the director. You know, um, but you you don't. You you're very supportive and very cool. And and the scene was covered however you covered it in in a variety of ways. Um, so there's that part that I, I want to add. The other was you mentioned about, you know, being on a set with somebody that you don't like and or being a psychologist and or communicating in a way that, you know, the the the, the person who's working you're working with, whether they're a, a crew member or or a cast member in this, you know, um, how do you communicate? How do you how do you get along? How do you be that psychologist? What what um, what? skill sets do you or how, how would you tell a, a person to communicate with another person you know how do you well well to start with your first question uh your, your, your first question is really about about it really comes down to the love of what you're doing uh you say you know well you didn't look tired you were going all day long it's, you know i love directing i love what i'm doing i don't get tired during the day i can sleep like four hours and then go shoot a 12-hour day and trust me i will be tired after that day and at lunch, I might be exhausted. I might even take a nap at lunch or something. But, but it's, it's indicative of somebody who loves what they do because they're just excited by it. If you're directing and you're ornery, you're a jerk, uh, you're tired, uh, you might want to think about a different career because you're not really liking it. You might like the, right. the, the you know, I, I think a lot of people get in, they start directing and they like the, the, the control, you know, they like the, the, the fame that comes with it or they like the, being, they like being the leader, but they're not really a leader. You might want to get out of directing. I mean, you should be directing for <laughs> the creativity. I get off on the creativity. I get off on something doesn't exist, and we bring all of these elements together, and we create something that now is actually going to exist. It could exist forever. And what's funny is buildings don't exist as long as movies. I mean, a building gets built oh, right. on a corner in a town, and, and 50 years later, they tear down the building to build a new building. You know, right. I mean, right. if you look right. back at history – you know, the Pantheon in Rome, okay, that's 2,000 years old. Maybe the Colosseum is, is older. There's, there's really not many buildings uh, uh, that exist as long. But movies, we don't actually know right now because movies are only 100-whatever years old. Uh, right. but, but they might actually last literally forever. I mean, in the future, we might be taking movies and just sending them out as bits of ones and zeros out into space, you know? So right, there's something right. really – but if you're in it for the ego, for the control – if you find yourself not liking it and you're being a jerk um, and you're not being creative and you're letting other people do your job because you're not, you don't know what you're doing or you don't really care, then you might not want to be doing that for a living. So, 
you saw me on set and the way I am is because I love what I do. I think it's amazing. I mean, uh, it's, it's awesome and it's, it's fun and, and I want to have a good time and I want to make, and we like to make jokes and, and, and everybody knows yeah. if, we're, if we have a light atmosphere on set, we, when, when, when I say action, you know, everything changes and we get into the scene and then I say cut and, you know, we go back to having a good time again. You know I mean? There's, there's, we, 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 we break it up with serious and good times. So, it's really critical as, again, I talk about it, if you're the director, uh, you're the leader, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's really critical to set the tone and the tone should be a creative environment. Like I no, so that leads into your next question, by the way, I like to have a creative, enjoyable environment. And when I have an actor or an actress on set, who's difficult, who's being difficult, who's putting their showing, putting their, you know, waving their ego around or having an attitude, um, isn't nice to people. It really sets me off. It makes me very unhappy. Sometimes you can take them aside and have a conversation with them. It happened with an actress with me who was very famous on TV uh, for many years. And she was very difficult. And, um, and we had to have a little sidebar. I was shooting at a golf club uh, and I had a crew of about 40 and I had about 40 extras. And there were a lot of people watching, probably a hundred people on set. And this girl was difficult the entire movie. And finally I'm like, you know something, we got to talk. This can't happen anymore we're going over here and the two of us go over on the other side of a hedge. So the crew, nobody can see us. And she's like, she says, you know, everybody's this and everybody's on me and everybody. And which isn't true because we actually had to hire her own wardrobe and makeup person, uh, makeup, yeah. makeup and hair people who are on mm-hmm. her all the time. She's talking to her all the time. She's not paying attention to me. She's not paying attention to anybody else. She's not paying attention to the DP and she's just yapping away all day long. And, and she starts giving me this sob story. And I go back to her and say, look, you know, we're all trying to do our best here. We're all working together here. We're trying to have a good time. I'm trying to make this enjoyable for you. The process, we're making a Christmas dog movie, for God's sake, <laughs> you know, and you're being a bitch, okay? And she lost it right there. She started crying hysterically, and she told me that her husband's leaving her. <laughs> wow. So, so the truth came out. Now, just because her husband was leaving doesn't mean that she was also not a difficult person, but you know, she had a lot of, uh, a lot of issues going on. And, but I had to like, I had to nip it in the bud. I was like, I can't. And what happens with actors is they have all the leverage ultimately. I mean, they, you know, actors, you, you, you know, actors know this, but nobody really pushes their weight around in that respect. But you know, they, it happens probably on bigger movies or an actor's on a movie for a week. And if they don't like the director uh, uh, and it's uh, between the director and the actor, and you've already shot with the actor for a week, the director's gone, you know? Right, um, right. So, you know, you have to be careful how you treat an actor if mostly, but if they're being really difficult, you got to take them aside and have a talk. You know, I had another actress uh, on a movie a couple of years ago and um, uh, she was in the costume fitting being really difficult. My costume designer, my costume designer called me up crying and uh, I called up that actress and I, I read her the right act. And I said, you don't do that on my movie sets. I know you don't know me. We've never worked together, but that's not how my movie sets work. And, uh, and, and we have fun and we're creative and we're not, we don't bring diva attitudes and all that. And, and, and she apologized profusely. Uh, she put on one of the best performances I've ever seen in one of my movies. Uh, we're good friends now, but she had one of those diva moments, you know? Um, so, you know, how do you deal with it? Sometimes you got to like get face to face with them and nip it in the bud. Other times you just got to put up with it through the entire movie and act like you love them and eventually just kill them with love, you know? Um, and, and that works too. Kill them with kindness. And, um, and usually if you kill them with kindness after a few days, 
uh, a lot of actresses, uh, take uh, Brittany Murphy is a good example. Brittany Murphy, um, I directed her last film that she ever starred in. And uh, uh, for you viewers and viewers who don't know, Brittany Murphy was in a lot of big movies. She's most mm-hmm. known for Clueless. But she, a lot of great movies. She was a great actress. But she, um, she was starring in a movie of mine, and she would not let anybody call her, talk her. My costume designer couldn't talk to her. I couldn't talk to her before the movie. In fact, the first day of the shoot, we didn't even know if she was going to show up on set. Um, and, um, and her call time, you know, I think I had call time of like eight, but I gave her like an extra hour so that we were kind of prepared and ready and all the, all the equipment was in place, the honey wagon, her, 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 her dressing room, everybody was ready to go. And, uh, um, and her call time was like an hour later, say nine, and she drove up just in time. I'm like, wow, okay, she's here. I haven't talked to her. Nobody's talked to her, but she showed up. We're going to make a movie. I go to, I see her in her dressing room. I go to introduce myself and she gives me the warmest, sweetest hug. And it was like, wow, she's, she was, she was the sweetest thing. Brittany Murphy. I really, really liked her a lot. And I said to her, I said, Brittany, why didn't you let me talk to you? Why didn't you let anybody talk to you beforehand? She said she had a really bad experience on a movie just previously. She wasn't sure if she wanted to even act again. Uh, she, uh, she was afraid that if she talked to anybody, she wouldn't want to work, but she needed to work. And so she just made a decision in her mind. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to show up the first day of set and just suck it up. And, and it turned out being a great experience. And unfortunately, you know, she passed away six months later, but, uh, wow. but yeah. so, you know, there's, there's different experiences and how you deal with it. Uh, but generally if you have a good attitude and you work hard, your actors see that it's pretty hard to be difficult to be a diva when they see you caring so much and working so hard and being jovial and being nice to people. When you're nice to your crew, your actors appreciate it too. Um, and, and so, you know, just good morals, good ethics, be a good person, work hard, be a good leader. And a good leader doesn't mean being a jerk. It means being a good person, but knowing what you want, being decisive. And then, and then you don't have those issues that often, but they, they arise, they arise, you know, it happens, you know, that's really, really wonderful. I, I'm going to uh, venture an opinion here, and uh, you know, regarding acting, I've I've been acting since I was about two years old. My parents put me in acting classes and dancing classes, everything, and and grew grew up as an actor. I, I loved acting. I've hated acting. I was, you know, and and I think a lot of actors are screwed up from the start, and uh, and that's why we get into you know we yeah exactly, and we get into acting for those reasons. Um, now, I consider myself really fortunate that I studied with a particular woman in Hollywood. In the, in, for, I, studied, I stayed with her for 10 years. She remained a friend of mine for the rest of my life. I've studied with a lot of all the – I've studied the method and all these different things and with great name talent, you know, acting coaches that, that everyone would recognize. But this woman's name was Lillian Chauvin. She was, she's, uh, she was French. She was an actress in the – in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, primarily. Well, up until up until in the into the 80s, and um, but she and it's been something that I always embodied. She said, you know, when they say cut, you should be able to go back to your everyday experience. You know, you want kind of an yeah. on and off, but you act in front of the camera, and then when it's off, you're not acting. And and yeah, I took that to heart. Yeah. Well, because because I, I am not a huge fan of of the. Here's here's I might get in trouble with lots of people, but you know if you're going to play a serial killer and you're going to do method, or if you're going to be Abraham Lincoln and Daniel Day Lewis, you know God bless him, he's a brilliant actor, but but I don't think you have to be that 
that into the character in order to bring that character to life. Because if you play a serial killer, we know that you're not hopefully out there actually killing people. There's, there's right, somewhere right. In, inside your personality that knows this is pretend you're acting the part, you know, and I, and I get the idea that people want to be treated, you know, treat me as my character or call me by my character name. Um, I, I personally think that's going a little too far. If you can't, if when the, when they, when they say cut, if you can't pull back and then turn it back on when you have to, then I don't want to call it a character defect, but it, you know, you, you're, you're more a victim of your own, process than you are in control of your own process i guess i would say well i and, agree i mean i mean thing is a craft and part of the craft right. is to be able to perform when the camera's on not when the camera's off you perform when the camera's right. on and so there's multiple aspects to the craft of acting you know delving into an emotion delving into a character getting deep into it but there's the technical side of the craft of acting on finding your marks finding your light having right. a relationship with the other actor you know saying the lines in the script and being somebody that the director can have a conversation with in between setups, you know, and, <laughs> exactly, and, and the right. craft of the craft of play uh, of pretend, you know, and, and if you're not pretending and if you're acting like that character the entire time that I personally, uh, I'm, I, I question your, your craft, you know, you, it's, it's uh, maybe your craft is slightly different than what I think craft for film is, you know, um, and I agree that, uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is a brilliant actor and one of our greatest actors, and that's his method for doing it. But I'll bet David D- Daniel Day-Lewis can actually, if he wanted to, step out of it and still do the same oh. performance. I'll bet. But he might be so insecure in his ability, because a lot of actors are insecure, honestly, uh, that he doesn't want to release from that. And I get it. I get it. It, would, it probably just makes it very difficult on a director and a crew to deal with that. But, and it would be a pleasure not to have to deal with it. But if that's it you, you know, but you know, if it's Daniel Day-Lewis, it's great. But if you're an actor that's not of a Daniel Day-Lewis quality and you want to work more in this town, it's probably a good idea in between setups, in between scenes to, to be normal, <laughs> to break away from that character. <laughs> well, know? exactly. And, and it might and, be better for your career. <laughs> great point. It, it, but, and, and piggybacking on that because actors are insecure, you know, like let's say, you know, the person has, you know, their page 30, you know, of a, of an hour script or page say 57 of a 90 minute script or something like that. They've got say one scene and they are very, they're insecure, but they've, they've, they've done a good audition. They get in and now they're there, you know, um, I mean, I remember, you know, when, when, when early on in the business, people would say, um, you know, why do I, why do I cross, you know, the, you know, why do I, why do I go to the door? And they would, you know, the anecdotal stories were because, you know, if you don't, I'll kick in the ass, essentially, the director would say, or something <laughs> along the lines, you know, what's my motivation? My motivation is, you know, your paycheck. Um, but right, the idea, right, right. <laughs> the idea being that sometimes, you know, people get onto a set, you know, it's not just a diva thing, but they chew up a lot of energy or, or, or they, they need, an inordinate amount of uh, of validation in order to get through something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's one thing if they're your lead. It's another thing if they're, you right. know, you know, a day player or a weekly or something. I agree. And it happens sometimes. And, uh, you know, I usually don't hire those people again. Uh, you know, <laughs> I have a very, my, I have a memory like a vault of specific people and I like to hire again, people I like and people are easy to work with and good actors and quality people and people who behave like that, they don't work for me again. And, um, 
and I have a list in my head, you know, and uh, they don't work for me ever again. And, and sure, I don't have the power that, you know, that people have, but hey, there's times they could, you know, I have people calling me going, hey, Mike, you haven't hired me in a while, and I just say, well, you haven't fit apart. Sorry, but it's really a lot of times because I just don't like to work with them. So, you know, this business, it's important to, to be, uh, to be uh, an enjoyable person in any business, really, and in life, you know, right. to be a good person, an enjoyable person to be around and, uh, and respect the process and don't make it all about you. And, and then I think you ultimately work more, you know, and the same thing with track, setting a track record as a director or producer, setting a track record as an actor, you know. Uh, but I mean, I don't want to rail on actors, you know, uh, no, and no, no, I, I, listen, I have a, I have a deep, I have a deep respect for actors. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't get in front of camera and act, which by the way, I think it's, is, is interesting is that I don't think directors have to be actors. You don't have to come from an acting background. I think it's BS for someone to go, well, you don't act. So you can't, that's ridiculous. It's like ball and not be a pitcher, but be a batter and still play the same game, you know? Uh, um, and I can also be a director and be able to evaluate an actor's performance, maybe as good or better than them and still not be an actor. Now, if I wanted to be an actor, I could do it. And I know I can, but, but it's just not what, it's just not what in, excites me. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't excite me directing and building teams, putting things together do. But, um, you know, if you're a director and you're ever in a position with an actor and, and they're like, what do you know? Well, you're, you're a director. You, you don't act. And it's, 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 they're two different art forms, you know, they're two different, totally different things. And uh, it's, it's not necessary for a director to know how to act. It's necessary for them to understand where an actor comes from. It's necessary for them to understand the, the challenges of, a, of an actor, but you don't have to actually have come from an acting background. It's actually better, I think, as a director to come from a photography background, a graphic design background, a, uh, an architecture background, a history background, uh, than to have to have delved in the acting world. Um, in fact, I think the most critical thing is really having a, a compositional eye because at the end of the day, you're creating the picture for every single frame and, right, and, right. and the graphic eye is the most critical. And so, you know, when I was a kid, my father bought me a, a Yashica FR 35 millimeter camera when I was in like seventh grade and I got fascinated with photography and I learned lenses and I learned F-stops. And then I had photo class in 10th grade and, you know, we, back then we developed our own film and, and, right. and, 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 uh, you know, uh, uh, make prints and, and, uh, and I had another photo class in 12th grade, you know, and then all through my life, I was a, I was an artist. I could draw anything. And I, I was, I sculpted, I used to sculpt as a kid. And, um, wow. and then, uh, and then I went to architecture school, you know, that I think is critical for a director, uh, more critical than an actor. An actor has a job to do. It's not your job to know their, they have to know their job. You know, a director doesn't need to know how to be a costume designer. Let your costume designer do that. You can make comments. You could have ideas but let your cost designer do that. You know, a production designer, uh, all these different jobs, you know, your directing job is not acting. You don't have to actually have been an actor to be a good director. It's better that you're on the visual side, I think, of things. Um, so well, but, I, I know, agree. There's, there's all different ways of approaching, you know. No, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think, I think that um... – that that you know there is that that bias of well if you if you don't do it then you don't know but uh, you're you know you're a storyteller and a storyteller or a screenwriter doesn't need to be an actor you know a visual no, no, artist no, no. I, I can nobody, nobody I can ever got on I, William Goldman you know I think right. nobody ever got on Aaron Sorkin William Goldman or David Mamet for not being an actor I mean you right. know you're, right. you're a writer so right uh, but you and know, you're maybe giving I'm convincing and, myself of that. 
No, no, no. I mean, I think I think it's a valid point. Uh, you, you, there's, it's like I don't know that I have had to play baseball in order to be a baseball coach. I need to know all the different things about it. I might want to have thrown a ball once in a while in my life, but that doesn't mean that I have ever had to play the game. Uh, there's, 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 well, there's, but I mean, there's a limit to my analogy too. But I mean, there's, but you know, there are coaches who've never been, you know, gymnasts. Well, let's say this: there's coaches who've never been Hall of Fame pitchers. That doesn't right. mean they can't coach pitcher. You know, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, now, to, I don't want to contradict myself because I do think it's important to know the process and know filmmaking. Sure. And 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 it's not a bad idea if you're a director to take some acting classes and understand acting and even get in, get in your films and be get get in there. I'm just saying that it's really critical as a director to be a leader to understand grip and electric equipment and lighting and camera and really understand a, have a graphic eye for product for perspective and composition and color and let your actors do their job and your actors will right. love you for it because you're not trying to tell them there's nothing worse to me than a director who will who will like push an actor aside go stand in their mark and show them how they want them to act you know i've seen that happen it's not oh yeah thing. Oh yeah, uh, or line readings. Uh, I always, I always kid a, a director friend of mine who sadly passed away, who uh, I was like twenty years old, and he goes, "No, I want you to say the line like this." Da 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 da. And uh, I'm like, "How do you, yeah. you know?" And he goes, "No, da 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 da." And I, you know, I try and he, and I hated it, and I did. He, I said, and he said, "Look, do it my way, and then you can do it your way." And we did it his way, and then he didn't do it my way, and I was like, "Well, I, that." <laughs> and and now, whenever I would. Way, Go ahead. Yeah, I would say on in an acting front, by the way, something funny. I think uh, um, when I was doing that Al Pacino project called, Why, uh-huh. called Wild Salome or maybe, um, I had to act with Al actually, and um, I got wow. this phone call once as a, and I got this phone call from my producer and says, Mike, we need you to come down to the studio because we need to shoot some extra kind of editor putty where um, Al is in the edit room and he yells down to you and then together you guys walk to the stage and you tell them there's a problem and, and, I, and we need some more material, right? Because it was a movie about the making of a movie. So I was a character uh-huh. in the film. So uh, I get off the phone I, and I start getting ready and my wife's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go act with Al Pacino. She's like, what? She's like, I've been an actress my whole life. <laughs> And you're going to go act with Al Pacino? I said, whoa, what can I tell you? So, you know, I go down to the stage, and, and Al is a really, he's a really great guy. He's really easy to, 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 to kind of hang out with, and, and he's really a, a very complimentary, very kind person. And so it's really easy. And, and so, like, I have scenes where I'm acting with Al Pacino. You know, I'm not That's an actor, awesome. but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's a fun experience. And, uh, you know, he didn't criticize my acting, so it worked out, you know. And I was playing there myself, you go. so that was but you know, I actually have acted with Al Pacino before, which is kind of cool. And him, him basically directing me and him in the same scene. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Well, I, I want to say yeah. this, um, just so you know, just give you a heads up. We've got about six or seven minutes left on the time that that we're allotted here on the show today. I had booked longer in case we had some technical difficulties, and uh, and we're using that time. Um, but uh, you know, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. And and the other point that I was going to make a while back was, you know, experience. You know, you you as a director, you have a lot of experience. You, you're a psychologist. You're a communicator. You know, you're positive. You're upbeat. You're the leader. Your your skill is in, you know, directing your crew and your cast and getting your vision for this movie on the screen. It's also time management, having the time oh, management well. skills. 
Well, sure. I mean, time management is, you need to have a ticking clock in your head, but that's all part of this. I mean, it's really critical. You really, you really have to, and it, and it only, you really get it from the more, the more work you do. But like I said, don't direct your first movie uh, uh, without having worked on set and, and try to get yourself to a place where you get a chance to AD some movies and edit some movies, script supervise some movies and, 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 and maybe, maybe produce movies for a friend, be a line producer or a coordinator, but ultimately making movies is all about time management. I mean, I make movies in 13 days, uh, 13 day movies. We're shooting anywhere from seven to 12 pages a day. Uh, you uh-huh. really have to have in your head. time management. So like I talked about the got to go attitude, that's a big time management issue, but you know, let's say I have a, I have a, um, you know, I have to wrap at 10 o'clock at night and it's eight o'clock and I've got a three page scene to do, you know, you got to decide, do I want to just hold off the scene and do it another day? Uh, or do I want to come up with a, do I want to go overtime and just spend the money and the crew's going to have to stay late? That's just the way it is. Or come up with an efficient way to shoot three pages in a really interesting way that maybe it came out better than if you had all day long to shoot the day, you know, and I've done that before with scenes where, you know, you come up with a really interesting one and you rehearse it a few times and you shoot it. You just knocked out three pages in literally a half hour, you know? And um, so, but you have to have this, the, 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 the time ticking time clock in your head, but it comes with experience really knowing how long things take to set up. I mean, for instance, generally handheld takes a lot less time, than shooting on sticks, which is tripods or a dolly or whatever, because the, your cameraman, your DP, your operator, by the way, I always shoot with at least two cameras. Um, uh, they can adjust so much faster. If you have a camera on your shoulder, you can just move over. You just move to the left, move to the right. The actor doesn't have to move. You don't have to worry, you know. But, of course, it has a different vibe to the scene. The scene has a different feeling if you're going to handheld versus on a tripod. Um, so, but knowing that is important or knowing, like, look, I've got three pages to do and I got two hours left. We don't have time to light it. So we got to go look around for a place to do the scene where there's enough light or we got to come up with a, you know, I mean, I've shot scenes with headlights of cars before. I, I remember shooting an establishing shot of a house. It wasn't an establishing shot. Actually, it was a character running in a house and running out, but it was one kind of big wide and all the electricity went down and we were wrapping oh, wow. in like 30 minutes and the generator went down. And um, I said, I said to my AD, and my line producer, I'm like, guys, go get three or four cars, drive them up to this spot here, park them, leave the engines on, turn the high beams on, and we're going to just light the house with headlights. And wow. we did it, and it looked, wow. and it looked great. great. We might have put some diffusion in front of the headlights, you know, some four-by-four four frames or something, mm-hmm. and boom, it worked. So knowing your tools, knowing your, your, your time, knowing your business helps you to be efficient time-wise. But you've got to have that ticking clock because I don't go over budget. Over budget is not acceptable. It is not acceptable. Mostly when you're using somebody else's money, uh, it's not acceptable to go over budget. And uh, so if you're shooting, if you made a deal with your crew, you know, it's a 12-hour day, your budget for 12-hour days, right? 12 hours, by the way, generally is 12 plus lunch. But um, um, uh, there is no going overtime because you can't afford it. Um, and you have to be respectful of your producers and your investors. If you're directing a film, you might not be producing it so it's very, there's, there's a, there's always a big battle between a producer and a director when a director is not also producing the movie or is not involved in the production side because the director wants to get everything done and thinks it's their world. And then the world, everything's going to crash down if they don't get it done. And the producer only cares about money as a director. You really got to care about the producer's pocketbook, the investor. It's not right. It's disrespectful. It's, it's immoral. And so you have to come up with solutions to get your days done. 
which means have a got to go attitude from the beginning of the day. Uh, know what you can handle on that day. If you have a big scene and you only have so much time, don't block it in a really complicated fashion. Come up with an interesting blocking scheme that is interesting, maybe complex, but not too complex. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't get it done within the time frame you have. Work with your DP about, uh, about maybe you shoot it handheld instead of on sticks, or maybe you shoot it next to a big window uh, that's going to provide light for a long period of time uh, rather than in an area that has to be lit because lighting always takes longer than not lighting, you know? So there's all these aspects to it, you know, and uh, you've got to, you just got to work your, work your craft. You know, it's a craft that you got to keep practicing and every experience is different. Every time you do a movie, every scene is something you haven't experienced before. You know, every scene is something you've experienced and it has something you haven't experienced and you learn from it, you know, and then in your head, you develop a vault, a, a storage cabinet, a, a library of, of, of experiences that you can go back to and go, Oh, I remember this time, you know, or you're just, your instinct starts working because it's, it's basing off of experiences from previous movies, you know? And so the more you work in film, the more you've had these experiences, some experiences are failures and some are successes and you have to sort of, you know, uh, uh, make decisions based off of all those experiences. And, and of course, listen to people you're working with that you respect and if, it's always good to have a DP that you have a good relationship with and you respect, and that DP uh, uh, comes in and, and uh, gives you some good ideas. But, of course, at the end of the day, you still have to be the leader. Uh, can't let your DP take over. Uh, it's not good. The DP needs, needs the leadership of the director or else everything start, starts falling out of place. You know, it's very – I say it's a dictatorship, and I'm the, uh, I'm the dick, so – <laughs> I was going to say a benevolent <laughs> dictator, but uh, <laughs> well, Michael, you know what? We are, we're, we are out of time. I mean, we're really running out of time. And, and this has been absolutely fascinating. I would love to have you back. In fact, while we're in self quarantine, and if you have some time during this time, even though you're yep. prepping for another movie, uh, I'll have you back sooner rather than later. I mean, sure. we could do this. I mean, I'd love you to know. talk about how living making film, you know? How yeah, to, well, fantastic. I, I want everyone well, to living, you know? So here's what here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye here on the air. I'm gonna call you back if that's okay. And it's it's probably late at your time, but and I don't want to disturb anybody. But I'll call you back in a couple of minutes after we say goodbye, just to touch base and maybe talk about thirty seconds about when we could do this again. Uh, would that work okay. for you? Sounds good. It is all right. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks. much. And yeah. and uh, and uh, I'll be checking in with you in just a minute you, you're welcome to listen to the rest of the show it is available um now uh immediately so the show is uh been recorded live and uh you can access it. you can share it uh with your friends and and filmmaker friends i want to thank michael pfeiffer a fascinating guest Thanks. for being here today i really and do people, i appreciate it People can follow me, Rex, on uh, Instagram at Mike Pfeiffer, M-I-K-E-F-E-I-F-E-R. Absolutely. Me. Sorry, I meant to ask you that. I meant to do that at the break, too, and, and to suggest that. And uh, so, yes, follow Michael on Instagram, and we'll, get, we'll provide more information in the links and, and elsewhere. So thank you. Um, so I want to thank you, my listeners and uh, the readers of Movie Beat. I've got many more exciting guests coming up in the near future, so be sure to stay tuned. We're going to have Michael back. We're going to talk about distribution and money raising and all sorts of other incredible topics. You can become a member of Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Facebook. 
there's a group, there's Rex Ike's movie Beat Friends, a page. And then there's my group, my other group, Filmmakers Network, movies, television directors, producers, writers, and actors. It's Filmmakers Network on Facebook. Any of those, Rex Ike's movie Beat, the group, Rex Ike's movie Beat Friends, or the Filmmakers Network uh, are uh, available to you. Again, you can listen to this immediately, share it with your friends, and uh, everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete projects, and until we meet again, that's a wrap.